Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm. Hits the spot. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, almost the last day of August. Uh, for all intents and purposes here on first cup of coffee. It is the last day of August since uh, I will be podcasting tomorrow. So you'll have to celebrate the end of August without me. Speaking of August, I think it's funny. This is like a mini mini ramp. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit um, cool and cloudy here in Santa Fe this morning. Not as cool as it was yesterday morning, but the clouds are coming in and we may get a little rain they say by nine. Uh, so which means that the mosquitoes are gathering. I do have my mosquito candle going here, but uh, yes, here in the secret garden, it's a uh, um, lush, but also lush with mosquitoes. Um. <laughs> If you're on video, you saw that I just paused because I had something in my eye and I dealt with it. And then right as I was unpausing, I got something in my other eye so I could pause again. That's why I left. Anyway, August, many of you know, um, or you should know by now, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or know me at all, is that I am a total Swifty. I love Taylor Swift and have for quite some time now. And, uh, to my delight, I've turned on a number of my friends to Taylor Swift, which is not usually me, but um, I feel like there are a whole lot of people out there, um, including like my assistant, who sort of by the um, some of the cultural dismissiveness of Taylor Swift. And so they'd never really given her music a chance. And once I've turned them on to how amazing she is, then they um, discovered the genius that is Taylor Swift. So Taylor, if you ever listen to this podcast, because I do feel like we could be besties, uh, I want you to know that I've gained you like at least, I don't know, five fans. And I, I feel like this is worth something. A drop in the bucket to someone with uh, her massive audience, but still. So anyway, um, Instagram keeps Instagram knows that I'm a Swifty. They show me Taylor Swift clips, which reels, which makes me happy. I like watching those. And, um, but they also send me suggestions, which I don't like so much where they say, um, umpteen million people have made reels with Taylor Swift song August. And do you want to do that too? And let me be clear. I love the song August. I think it's beautiful. It is August. It's the end of August. I mean, like all of her music, it's got uh, beautiful refrains and um, wonderful turns of phrase. August sipped away like a bottle of wine. It's great, right? And, but no, first of all, I, I don't really want to make a reel, which I know I should, but I don't want to. <laughs> and if I were going to, it, I probably would not use the song August. And then I saw that one of my empty friends, uh, <laughs> a romance novelist did a reel. It came through my feed. She, and I follow her and she did a reel of like an, her upcoming romance novel using the chorus to August. 
so people, I know I'm a purist about these things. I'm, I may be whatever. I might be an extremist about these things. I'm perfectly willing to, to cop to that. But August is not a love song. It not in the typical sense. Um, August is told from the point of view and you know this if you listen to the fucking lyrics. Sorry, I feel strongly. <laughs> it's told from the point of view of a woman who seduces a guy knowing full well that he has a girlfriend. And uh, the reason that she has the line on there saying, because you were never mine, is because he wasn't hers. He belonged to someone else and he was cheating on his girlfriend with her. And I'm sorry, people, this isn't the romance song that you think that it is just putting it out there. Uh, I had an argument with another friend of mine who I did turn on to Taylor Swift and has become, um, a a fan. Uh, but she doesn't like the song. Look what you made me do. And I said, well, how can you not like this song? And she said, well, you know, that's the kind of thing that abusers say. And, and this is somebody that I, I love very much. And I normally love that she has these, uh, strong feelings about, you know, abuse and fairness and so forth. And she said, but you know, that's what abusers say. They say, you know, look what you made me do. You made me do this. You know, it's not me, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what the song's about. And I said, if you listen to the lyrics, then you would, and she's like, well, I, I didn't listen to all the lyrics. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> And I was talking with my assistant who has become a Taylor Swift fan because of me. And now part of her assistanting duties have turned out to be following uh, the Taylor Swift Reddit. And then she feeds me information and gossip, which I figure is absolutely part of what I pay her to do. And I say that in all sincerity because <laughs> she was telling me interesting information yesterday because we were talking about the album reputation and as one does (laughs) and i was saying that i felt like i needed to make one of those unpopular opinion TikTok reels uh not only ranting about the misuse of august but (laughs) talking about how you know apparently reputation is one of her least popular albums which i didn't know until recently and maybe it's not true but i saw something saying that and i love reputation i think it's great Um, but it is an angry album and look what you made me do is on there. And, but you know, that album's all about, I tried to be a nice person and you all fucked with me and now you've awakened the dragon and I am not going to take it. And you know, that's probably in keeping with my personality, but I'm on board with that sentiment. (laughs) All about being a nice, generous, giving, loving person until somebody stabs you in the back and then it's, then it's game on. So something else I wanted to talk about, uh, remaining notes from Bubonicon over the weekend. Uh, I think this is a fairly short topic, so I'll handle it first is that we were doing a panel on world building. 
And several of the panelists had been talking about the idea that uh, in some stories with well done world building, that the world actually becomes like a character in the story. Uh, and that there are even stories um, like John Varley, where literally it's the world is an actual sentient character. And, but that also the world serves as a character in other ways in other stories. And at the end, during the Q&A, this one guy put up his hand and I was the moderator. So I called on him and he said, well, he said, if thinking about the world as a character, since characters have to have agency, wouldn't the world have to have agency in order to be a character? And I, it, it was, um, it was an interesting question because several of the panelists immediately disagreed with his premise that a character has to have agency. And then another disagreed that the world doesn't have agency because she said, I've been in the mountains that were actually trying to kill me, literally trying to kill me, <laughs> which someone else, um, when I was, I ended up having this conversation several times over the weekend, asking different writers what they thought. And someone who tends not to be a very fanciful person said, um, worlds absolutely have agency. They have, you know, weather patterns and they have all sorts of things that they do. Um, you know, and that's like, if you, not even if you buy into like the Gaia hypothesis, right? Which is that the Gaia hypothesis is that our world, the earth, um, is in a way a sentient being that is always trying to bring itself back into balance that it has a place it wants to be and that if we push it too far environmentally that it will wipe out the humans so that it can get back to where it needs to be you know i haven't heard much about guy hypothesis in a long time i feel like we need to bring that back with all of this um the climate climate dooming i don't think that necessarily comes in as much so anyway uh the idea of character agency and for those of you who i don't you know i'll define it uh it's basically the idea that it, it it's taught to writers a whole lot um editors bring it up often in order to keep your characters from being flat or being props where they simply exist for other characters or the world to act upon them. It is not my favorite term. I don't really like talking about character agency in part because my very first book rogues pawn recently re-released, um, my, when I was shopping it and even up through the developmental edits with the editor from the press that bought it, uh, kept giving me grief about how my heroine didn't have enough agency. And, and it was frustrating to me because my heroine was a scientist who, um, ends up trapped in fairy and she, uh, is able to do magic in that everything she thinks manifests and she has to learn to control her magic, but she's very much a fish out of water and she's amid the fae who um, do everything by bargaining 
and she doesn't know the rules of the game and she gets herself into several very bad bargains very quickly. Um, and so this whole thing where my editor kept saying, oh, well, she doesn't have enough agency. She needs to have more agency, you know, like which to many means affecting her own fate, making choices of her own. And it's like, it was really hard in that situation for someone to have agency. And it got to be very annoying to talk about. So anyway, discuss among yourselves. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, I don't think a character needs to have agency. I think that's one way about of talking about characterization. Oh, the sun is breaking through. Oh, Oh, hello, Thrasher. Thrashers are still busily feeding babies. So I moved a little bit so the sun wouldn't be in my eyes. Um, anyway, interesting thoughts. And, and I said that we could have had a whole panel on whether or not characters need to have agency. I think it's just one way of talking about characterization and, and really not the best way to talk about characterization. Um, boy, that sun's really coming through there. I've scooted more fully. So, um, yeah, it would be interesting to do a full panel on discussing whether or not characters need to have agency. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is I took a, um, I took, I attended a class that Connie Willis taught, uh, called the devil in the details. And I really admire Connie Willis. Um, she's a Sifwa grandmaster. Uh, she's been around for a long time, celebrated author. Uh, and also <laughs> I, I lost track of what I was going to say. Um, Connie Willis. So Connie is really a wonderful person. So I find her utterly delightful. She's incredibly supportive of younger writers. She's been personally great to me. Um, love, love, love her. I, and I love her stories too. love her books. So she gives this very interesting class and I had, um, attended something of it before at the Williamson lectureship, but, uh, it was, um, less detailed than less detailed than what she talked about at Bubonicon, which was just her for an hour. And I always get something out of hearing her talk. So she was talking about the importance of details in the story, obviously, and giving lots of great examples of, um, people again. So, so here we are looping back people paying attention to small things. Uh, and she was talking about how readers who are not close readers tend to get very foiled by unreliable narrators because they believe everything the narrator tells them. And she was using the example of Nabokov's Lolita because she likes to ask people what happened to Lolita's mother. And she said, she finds that that's kind of a litmus test of who they are as a reader. And as she said that, I was thinking, well, obviously he murdered the mother (laughs) so that he could get to Lolita and Connie was saying, well, 
that a lot of people say, oh, but you know, she, she died in an accident. And she said, well, how do you know that? And they said, well, it says in the book, it's like, no, the narrator tells you that the narrator who probably murdered the mother so that he could molest this young girl, uh, told you that. And she was talking about how there's, a just this one bit near the end where he mentions how Lolita cries every night, cries and cries. And by this, you know, that everything he's done to represent Lolita as being this temptress who seduced him. It's, it's all a lie. It's all part of his elaborate lie. So this is like on a different scale, perhaps, but like people not listening to the lyrics of, of August and not knowing that this is not a romantic song. Well, not in the way that they think it is, I think. So, but I did take some exception and that because Connie is coming, coming out this from a very particular viewpoint, right? And she was holding up, you know, and she was talking about Shakespeare and Nabokov, obviously, and looking at things from that lens, which I think is fine, but she was using for, as a bad example, um, a metaphor that Nora Roberts used. And she mentioned with a shudder that she just does not like Nora Roberts writing. And I thought, well, okay. You know, which is fair, you know, we're all allowed to like or dislike and, and the metaphor she'd picked out, which was not one that I remembered. Uh, I often very much enjoy Nora Roberts metaphors. Um, and this one was clumsy, but you know, Nora Roberts is enormously successful and you know, it's, uh, something that I contemplate often that, you know, if you, uh, listen to this podcast is like, what, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And when I do author coaching, I, that's one of the things that I ask aspiring authors to think about when they want to, you know, how do I plan my career? I ask them to figure out, well, what do you want from your writing career? Because if you want to, we, we all want everything, right? We all want to be the best selling author, um, making lots of money, um, with a passionate fandom admired by our peers, given awards and remembered for all time. Uh, these are, those are generally the things uh, and we want to love our work and tell the stories that we love to write and, and be happy every moment and have bonbons and cabana boys to wait on us. I think that covers it. So the thing is, is not many authors get to have all of those things, you know, like the authors who are well remembered for being brilliant, you know, like Jane Austen's one of the, my favorite examples of that Jane Austen was not wealthy in her lifetime and she wasn't even all that recognized in her lifetime, her recognition as being an author, being a genius, um, came long after her death. So, you know, maybe it's still worth it, but I think, um, 
for many of us being able to make a living at it, being able to write what we want to write and being able to make money is, is important too, you know? So, um, I would take Nora Roberts career in a heartbeat. Right? So food for thought. Uh, and on that note, I am headed to Worldcon tomorrow. I will be in Chicago. If you're going to be in the neighborhood, say hello. Uh, I probably will not be podcasting for the rest of the week, but I will on Monday, which is Labor Day in the United States. But um, I, I should be here. So hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, hope those details are ones that are important to you. And you all take care. Bye-bye.